We know there are times where you're just too busy to sort through the mass of information that comes your way. So to make it easier for you to stay informed, subscribe to The Morning Agenda, WITF's news podcast, where the only agenda is you. Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC. Choose UPMC for your family's health care needs close to home. Visit UPMC.com slash Central PA for a complete list of services and locations. Between daily news about former President Donald Trump, the 2024 presidential election, war between Israel and Hamas in Gaza, war in Ukraine, and the flood of immigrants at the southwest border, we often don't hear much about what was once an opioid crisis that now has turned into a synthetic opioid or fentanyl crisis. When 112,000 people died of overdoses during a 12-month period that ended in August, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention a 3% increase over the same period the year before. Fentanyl was an ingredient in most of those deaths. The prevailing opinion was that Americans' thirst for drugs is what drove the crisis. Sam Quinones, the best-selling author of four books, including The Least of Us, True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth, now says the supply of fentanyl is driving demand. Sam Canonis joins us on The Spark. Sam Canonis, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me on, Scott. So why do you think the supply of fentanyl is driving demand? Well, first of all, I think opioids in general do that. I think it was true of the opioid epidemic you referred to, uh, the overprescribing of pain pills. What you had there was uh, doctors prescribing them aggressively, pharma companies promoting them as uh, non-addictive for pain patients and all the rest. And very, and very often what you found was people who began to use them uh, quickly grew addicted to them. This is because opioids have an effect on the human brain that is unlike other drugs. It changes the brain chemistry, makes us physically dependent. So, so long as you get people using a little bit, if you are profit motivated, um, very quickly, um, th- they will develop a demand they did not previously have. This was, in fact, the, the um, business model, really, of Purdue Pharma that sold OxyContin. Just get the doctors prescribing, and soon, no matter how little they, they start the patient on, soon that will be um, uh, um, uh, many times higher. Fentanyl is just a new twist on, on that story. Um, so fentanyl is being provided and smuggled into the United States and just simply staggering supplies nationwide. It's all across the country and it has the same effect. Now, some people are getting addicted to fentanyl, um, and using drugs. They don't expect to have fentanyl in it, like cocaine or methamphetamine. If they don't die. And of course, many of them do, as you said earlier, um, they develop an addiction to to fentanyl very quickly. So very quickly, a little bit of supply creates uh, a long lasting uh, uh, demand. Um, they are also doing uh, fentanyl is also doing this by simply again the supply being so enormous and so relentless that people once they are on it develop very very high tolerances. And so what that means is if they were to stop, they would go into very it's a beast beastly kind of withdrawal. Um, effects. 
And so people are really, really reluctant to get off of fentanyl once they are on it, even though they know that they very easily uh, could die. It's just the effect of the opioid on the brain is such that it just squelches that instinct for survival. And again, it's simply the supply that is creating this. If this were um, uh, a few hundred kilos, you know, over an entire year, maybe that would be one thing. Um, but this is this is the staggering amounts of fentanyl that we're being uh, inundated with. And I think very, very clearly, you are seeing that that supply is creating and then perpetuating a demand in a way that makes it very, very difficult for people to get off of it. You lived in Mexico for 10 years. What was the attitude of the cartels, the drug suppliers, as far as supply and demand? Well, I think, I'm not sure a lot of them thought too much about it. Those were very, uh, uh, you know, uh, simple folks. <laughs> you know, they were they were simply th- saying, thinking, we, we make drugs, we can sell, and, and so let's do it because it's better than growing, um, you know, uh, lettuce and, and, and tomatoes. Um, I think nowadays, though, there's a more sophisticated element um, in, the, in, the, in the trafficking world. And the uh, younger guys, a lot of guys who have gone from being ranchers and farmers, now they're more like global traders. They're more uh, aware of the benefits of making your drug instead of growing your drug. And so they become chem- traders in, you know, in the, on the global chemical uh, market. And hence, you have seen this remarkable shift in the last 10 years, just a revolutionary shift in the trafficking world in Mexico, away mostly. From, from plant-based drugs and towards chemically-based or synthetic drugs that they make only with, with chemicals, no plant involved, because they understand the enormous profit. The benefits to traffickers are huge by tr- making that shift. You don't need land anymore. You don't need uh, irrigation, sunlight. You don't need farmers. All you need is shipping ports where you c- control the flow to some degree, and therefore you can get almost unlimited access to the ingredients to make the drugs that you um, see as your profit centers. And those now today are fentanyl and methamphetamine, both of which are now uh, nationwide across the United States. And another unprecedented uh, fact um, um, and created by the, the access of traffickers in Mexico to, um, to the shipping ports on the western, western side of that country. But as you said, land isn't needed. It's not plant-based. It's synthetic. But the chemicals that are needed to manufacture fentanyl are not produced in Mexico. They're coming much of the time from China, right? Right. Most of them are not produced in Mexico. That's correct. Some are, but mostly not. Yes. And they understand they have um, China has now thousands of chemical companies. And um, uh, a good number of some number of them appear willing to to sell these chemicals to uh, to the to the to whoever wants to buy them, I think. And I think the trafficking world in Mexico has become a major uh, customer. So how does fentanyl get into the U.S.? Well, keep in mind that fentanyl is enormously potent, means a very little amount will get you a lot of profit. And so fentanyl. Is is, um, is 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 coming in smaller amounts than say methamphetamine, but mostly this is coming in um, cars and trucks. 
you know, we have a free trade agreement, have had for many years uh, with Mexico. There are, because of that, millions of cars and trucks passing back and forth uh, every, uh, you know, every year. Very, very difficult to, to for for the, um, federal uh, officials to check more than a small percentage of those of those vehicles, and so mostly uh, the nationwide spread of these drugs is due to the fact that there is just so much of this stuff being made in Mexico and so much of it smuggled uh, in vehicles. A lot has been made about the idea, well, well, maybe this is coming on the backs of immigrants. There are, without a doubt, many people who smuggle in certain quantities of methamphetamine or, or fentanyl. But I think that we would not have anywhere near the problem we have if that was all the issue. The real big issue is how much comes in, 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 uh, in, in vehicles of one kind or another and hidden away ingeniously uh, in those vehicles. Yeah. And you're talking about legal ports of entry, right? Oh, yes. There's a, I can't remember, 20 some, uh, maybe 20 uh, ports of entry. And we're talking about um, uh, uh, Tijuana, San Diego, El Paso, Juarez, El Paso, the two Nogaleses in Arizona, uh, Nuevo Laredo, Laredo in, uh, into Texas, um, Brownsville, Matamoros. Those, the, all these are legal crossings where there, there many trucks and cars line up sometimes for hours to get into the United States. The problem is we simply don't have the manpower to check even more than a small percentage of them. And number two, we have such economic ties with Mexico that if, according to a board economist I've talked to, that if we were to increase the amount of inspection of those vehicles, just to expand the, the, the percentage of the vehicles we inspected, it would do um, great damage to uh, to our economy and probably to Mexico's as well. And so it's it's a very difficult thing. Problem, of course, in all of this <laughs> is that the countries have simply not figured out a way of collaborating on this. And I have to say, um, my my very strong conviction is that um, a lot of this has to do with the current president of Mexico, who just seems to himself unwilling to even recognize that there's a problem and um, certainly unwilling to do uh, much about it. On the other hand, one of the things that uh, you wrote a recent column in the Washington Post, and one of the things you mentioned is that uh, many of these drug cartels at the ports where the chemicals are coming in, they're armed with automatic weapons that have come from the U.S. So that would seem to be one of the tools that keeps this flow of fentanyl coming into the United States. That's, I'd say that's absolutely correct, as well as with methamphetamine. We have um, very make, we have made it very easy for people above 18, 18 and older, apparently, to buy uh, assault weapons, and um, uh, and and so some percentage of that has now um, be, uh, been been smuggled into Mexico for many for for many years now. We, Mexico's always had a, a, a flow of guns from us south, but I think it's only in the last. 20 years that you have seen the flow of assault weapons. Remember, we had a ban on commercial assault weapons, uh, uh, sale of commercial assault weapons in this in this country in two, uh, that ended in 2004. I would say, perhaps coincidental, I think not, that the cartel wars that have savaged uh, Mexico began the very next year. And I think it's very clear that a lot of the weapons that these guys used 
are, are assault weapons that, that, that are purchased here and smuggled in small numbers, but daily and many from many sources smuggled into, in, into Mexico. Those same weapons, therefore, are protecting, ensuring the impunity of the people who are making these staggering quantities of drugs that are then coming back into the United States and deranging Americans in the case of methamphetamine uh, and, and killing Americans in the case of, of, of fentanyl. So, Sam Quinones, what came first, fentanyl being added to other drugs like cocaine, heroin, pills, or users now clamoring for fentanyl? Well, I'd say the, 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 the former, the first that you mentioned, that, that people... Um, it, it began with fentanyl coming in from China to the areas of the country that were the kind of the, the centers of the opioid epidemic. The states were Ohio, uh, Kentucky, West Virginia, places like that. Dealers in those states began to realize that they could that what fentanyl was that they could buy it on the web. A lot of chemical companies began in China began mailing China a uh, uh, little small amounts, a pound maybe, maybe less. Uh, to these guys who would buy it on the internet. They advertised on the internet. For a few years, the, the supply there for fentanyl was really limited to those areas that I just uh, mentioned. But uh, beginning in about 2016 or so, the Mexican trafficking world began to produce fentanyl, largely with those ingredients coming from the Chinese uh, chemical companies, as we said. And when that began to happen, they have a enormous number of people down there a lot of people learned how to make it it's not hard to make if you have the ingredients and there's a very sophisticated experience with um smuggling drugs into the united states which you began to see beginning in about 2016 17 18 you began to see supplies of fentanyl expand to both coasts from the ohio kentucky west virginia general area you began to see it hit uh, uh, California, New York, up into New England. Um, California had its first mass fentanyl overdose in 2018 in the town of Chico. Uh, I think I think fentanyl was up in Maine, roughly by early um, what 2019, I believe it was 2020. So you began to see that spread, and of course the intensity of the supplies has just simply multiplied since then. But it's because it got into the hands of some very astute, very experienced very large and robust uh, robust ecosystem of drug profiteers and drug traffickers and, and drug manufacturers down illicit drug manufacturers that then had access to all these chemicals these ingredients coming from from mexico and with that you began to see two things happen either fentanyl killed the customer but very often it it, it created demand for itself once a customer say used some cocaine lived through the experience because a lot of people died um but lived and became therefore a really avid fentanyl uh addict went from co occasional cut cocaine customer to avid fentanyl one of the reasons fentanyl is actually a wonderful drug in the surgical setting is because it takes you in and out of anesthesia very very quickly I've had fentanyl. It does that miraculously. It's a wonderful drug because in surgery because of that. That's exactly what makes it such a profitable drug on the street because once people get addicted to it, they must use it constantly all day long. Somebody who would use heroin two or three times a day might use now fentanyl six, eight, ten times a day, depending on, on the tolerance. It takes your tolerance very, very high 
you're very reluctant to go through any kind of withdrawals to get off of it at that point, even though you know you may die. But the other thing is you constantly have to be using all, there's no such thing, there's several things that have changed. First of all, one is there's no such thing as a long-term fentanyl user. You're, all of them are going to die if they don't get off the street and get and, and get treatment. But also the amount of fentanyl, the amount of times a day that you have to now use is again part of what I'm talking about, where you have supply creating demand. Uh, and so now a fentanyl customer is a magnificent customer to have if you are a street dealer or what have you. And so all of this is part of how fentanyl is creating demand, first by igniting demand in the first place, but then also by um, exacerbating and keeping you keeping you, uh, 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 strung out on it. There's a woman I met at a, at a conference who said to me recently, the, the, the clients that I have, she's a drug counselor, the clients that I have are afraid of two things. One is they're afraid of dying from fentanyl. Number two, they're afraid of being away from fentanyl. <laughs> it just gets to this idea that, that this is a different time. We are seeing so much change in, in the world of drug smuggling and drug treatment, drug overdose, et cetera. And fentanyl creating this demand and exacerbating it once it's creating it. Is, is a big part of what's going on in America today when it comes to drug use. What does fentanyl cost on the street? I, I, yeah, good question. I don't know. What I do know is that another way that the supplies of fentanyl um, have uh, changed the, the game is that now in, in Mexico, many, many people are now producing counterfeit pills that... Um, that, that uh, look like a Percocet or a Xanax or a, or a, a oxycodone generic 30 milligram blue pill, but they don't contain anything but, but, but fentanyl. Those pills, uh, a surrogate for how much fentanyl is going on the street, is de depends on what, what part of the country you're in. But in, in Tucson, they're for like 50 cents last time I was in Tucson. Just a, a guy I heard on the radio recently said in Portland, uh, 25 cents. Other parts of the country would be going for like a dollar or whatever. But it gets again to the idea that the supplies, these are pills that used to cost $20, right? And uh, uh, six years ago, seven years ago, maybe. Now they're being produced in such staggering supplies. I have to, I have to guess uh, uh, in the tens of millions. Uh, and, and so now the price is just like almost like getting close to free, I guess. Yeah, it sounds like and, candy. And, and so, so anyway, that is, that is again, though, another part of this supply inundating the country, creating and exacerbating uh, uh, demand. It's just dirt, dirt, dirt cheap. Hmm. We only have about two minutes left, and you know, we'd be remiss yeah. if we didn't discuss suggestions, ways to get this fentanyl crisis under control. What do you suggest? Well, there's a, first of all, I, I think that this has absolutely got to be first and foremost on the, uh, the agenda between the two countries. This is actually a binational problem. Uh, it's something that counties and towns are struggling to deal with. It's very much like keeping standing in the ocean and keeping back the tide. I do, however, getting away from the international issues, and they're very complicated. I do believe, though, that we need to um, rethink uh, uh, our approach to fentanyl. It's not like marijuana or uh, say a baggie of marijuana years ago and people have made it almost a, a, um, 
you know, a, a misdemeanor in some cases, a cell phone. I don't believe that's at all wise. That's that's getting away from what we really should be doing. I do believe the use of law enforcement is, is, is important in other ways. I believe we need to rethink jail. I wrote about this in my book and it's a piece in The Atlantic as well. Um, we need to think, think of jail as a place of recovery, places where we have recovery pods, and this is being done in certain counties around the country. What that does, though, is that it gives people, after their arrest, and yes, you must arrest them, but it gives them a blessed place to, to get away from the dope because too many people are refusing treatment even though they are at death's door because of fentanyl. We need a place where they can where they can go, be awake, and develop that, that blessed respite from the dope and get off the streets because otherwise fentanyl is, is going to kill them. We need a place where, where people cannot leave when the, the, the fierce, fierce fentanyl addiction insists that they must, but instead can get treatment. We treated jail as a dumping ground. I think rethinking jail now, uh, in the light of fentanyl certainly, and others, is, is an incredibly important thing uh, uh, to do. It's built, it's, it just needs political will. And that's sometimes what's also lacking. But it also it re- it needs to be, we need to be rethinking all of this in light of this uh, profound supply hmm. of fentanyl coming in from Mexico. Sam Quinones, I want to thank you very much for being with us today. Great to be with you again, Scott. Thanks so much for the time.